Good to have everybody in the house this morning. Good to be here. Who are my beach, warm weather, hot weather lover people out there? Raise your hand. Yeah, you guys, y'all were gathered out there. I was like, everybody's outside. And I went outside and I was like, I'm melting. I'm going back inside. But it's going to be a beautiful day for you who like the heat. So that's a good thing. Hey, listen, guys, we're starting this new series called We Relationships. And, uh, and so anybody besides me ever struggle in relationships? Yeah? Ever, ever, anybody ever struggle in their marriage relationship? Anybody ever struggle with their kids' relationship with your adult children? Mine can raise their hand. Any adult children struggle with their mama? Yes, you can raise your hand. It's okay. Um, we, we struggle with relationships. And if we're not careful, I, I know none of you have ever been one of these people. I'll, I'll take the blame for that. I'm, I'm sure it's never been you. But have you ever been around one of those people that always has a problem with every relationship they're in? There's a problem with their work relationships. There's a problem with their home relationships. There's a problem with their kids. There's a problem with their neighbors. There's a problem with their Facebook friendships. Like, and it's always everybody else's fault. <laughs> and they haven't figured out that they're the common denominator in all the problems. <laughs> I know that's never been us, right? So we're going to start this new series today on relationships, but we have to start from the right place. And if we're going to work on our relationships with God and with others, then the very first thing we have to do is we have to identify the me in the we. Because do you know there's a me in every we that you're in? And you can't control the other parts of the we. But you got to identify the me. Are we good? That's a little scary, but we're going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And so today we're going to start this series in 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to jump right in. And I want you guys to read verses 4 and 5 with me. And then we'll start unpacking. This is a rich text, you guys. There's a lot for us. And uh, yeah, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would... There's so much goodness. There's so much meat in today's text. And so whatever you have for us individually and corporately, Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Let's read together. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, so the first thing about me is me needs to come to him. Peter's teaching us here. By the way, let's point out, um, Peter is called the rock. Jesus renamed Peter Petrus. Petrus actually means the little rock, the small rock. When God said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, it wasn't on Peter, it was on Jesus, but Peter was to imitate Jesus. Peter was the little rock hewn from the big rock of Jesus. And so here it is, Peter, Petrus, the little rock, not Petra, the big rock, that is saying, 
as you come to him, as I come to him. And I want us to understand that this isn't a one-time thing. This verb is a continual, repeated, ongoing action. So as we continually come to him, as the me continually comes to the living stone, then that stone who has been rejected is going to build me into living stones. I want to tackle a couple things here. Um, In addition to the coming being something that we have to do continually as a people, it says that Jesus is the living stone. And I want to put us back in perspective because, you know, we can in our time be like, okay, a living stone, like the rocks cry out, like we're trying to make some connection. But I want us to remember that Peter is speaking to a culture that is surrounded by idols, that is surrounded by dead stones that people are worshiping as God, that is surrounded by objects that are being held up as God when indeed they are just a rock or just a hunk of gold or just a thing, and there is no life in them, and they offer no life. And Peter is saying, no, 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 you come to the living stone, Jesus who conquered death, not dead like the idols, but a risen stone who has been made alive, who conquered death and rolled the dead stone away so that he could walk out of the grave. As you come to him, you are made alive through him. You also are being made into living stones. You are being built into a spiritual household. Now we can be like, oh, isn't that sweet? Like Peter's saying, oh, we're just going to be made at home. Like the heart is in the home. Like all those sayings about home and doesn't that feel good? But I want us to really understand what Peter's talking about here. Because for the entire Jewish history, from the time that God sent his people, delivered his people out of Egypt, they had the tabernacle in the desert that there was their place of worship. That is where the priests were. That's where you had to go to connect with God. And then the tabernacle was built once they reached the promised land. King Solomon built the temple. And the temple was the center of all their worship. The temple was the center of everything. The building contained God because God couldn't be out among the people. And and Peter's saying, but that's not the way it is anymore. Because now you are the temple. Now you are the living stones being built into a spiritual household, being built as a holy nation, being built into this building and constructed together. Now, I think it's important for us to remember that Peter's talking to a crowd of Jews and Gentiles who are under heavy persecution, and they're all Christ followers. But if we're honest about the history, like, the Jews would have much preferred that Jesus not build a new temple. They'd have preferred he renovated the old temple and let the Gentiles come in according to the old rules. And don't we do that sometimes in church? Like, we don't want God to do a new, like, y'all can come in from the outside, but you got to follow our rules and then we'll take you in. And Peter's saying that is not the way it is. You all come to God and you are built into a spiritual household. God has done a new thing. It is not the old building anymore. It is not a location. It is us. And God is putting us together in a group. This is not just about me. This is about the me and we because God created us for relationship. And he didn't say, this text doesn't say that you are living stones 
made to go sit off by yourselves. You are living stones made to go get planted somewhere and be on your own. For everybody who thinks they don't need to be a part of a community, don't need to be part of our church, our individualistic mindset in this nation. No, Peter says God called us to be built together into this. And it's not even us doing the building. This is a passive voice. God is putting the pieces together. So Pastor Jen and Pastor Rick, you guys, we can't force the church to come together. We don't call you in here and take you and put you in a spot. Like God does that. God draws you. God calls you. And God has already identified the spot where he wants you. And he has made you especially to fit in that spot. He doesn't just know your name. He wrote your name. He wrote your story. He wrote and numbered the hairs on your head. And he did it for a purpose. And the me is only satisfied when me is in the community of we built together. Now, what's really mind-blowing for the people getting this letter and for those who came from the Jewish faith, became um, Christ followers, is that Peter does something all, like there was the temple and there were the priests. There was the temple and there were the priests. And Peter just blew their mind because he said, you are the temple, (laughs) You're the building, and you're the priests. You're both. They're no longer separated. There's no longer some distinction that makes the Levites, who were the priestly tribe, separate from everybody else. That's you. That's me. That's all of us. We together now are the priesthood. And guys, that, that's an amen point, because that means that we get to walk in fulfillment of our calling. Like, consider this. I don't know if you know this. But under the Old Testament law, only the Levites could go in the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go in the Holy of Holies. And they only went in once a year. Y'all, there were a whole lot of high priests. There were a whole lot of priests. You have people who spent their lifetime as a priest. And never once, never once in their lifetime got to step into the Holy of Holies in the presence of God. God is saying, come on. Not only can you step in, you are. The Holy Spirit in you means you are part of this. And you're invited to be in my presence and have my presence to be in you, built in with no separation. And by the way, you're to be a royal priesthood, not a royal priest. Did y'all catch the difference there? A priesthood is a people group not an individual. And so even as we identify the me, we have to identify the me understanding that the point is not all about me. The point is about the people that we are. It goes on to say that we're being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. What are spiritual sacrifices? Like, Y'all think about that? Like, it's not just pretty words, right? I mean, in the Old Testament, there were some spiritual sacrifices. Um, In in the Old Testament, 
They had prayer and praise and repentance and thanksgiving. Those were spiritual. But there was also all these laws about what animals you had to sacrifice to make penance for your sin, what animals you had to bring in sacrifice to give thanks to God, what you had to do to acknowledge the relationship. And God is saying, you don't have to pay penance for that stuff anymore. You don't have to make amends for your sin because Jesus did that. You simply have to believe in, call on, submit to Jesus. Like, that is it. It's your relationship with Jesus, and he's already paid all the price. And so now it's not an, an action of slaughtering some animal to make up for what you did. It's taking all the grace and the mercy that Jesus gave us and serving it to someone else. So it's no longer an act of obligation. It's a sacrifice of the heart that serves one another in love. And so we have to shift our mindsets from our service being something we have to do to the New Testament, New Covenant that teaches us that our bodies are a living sacrifice. What we live, our life is a sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice. And it's not about, it's not about paying a price. It's about serving one another in love. We're not called to be a dead stone unto ourselves, but we're called to be a living stone that is placed by God So let me ask, um, have you guys ever walked past a brick building or a brick wall where there's a couple bricks missing or things are askew, things are broken? Like, seen that? Does the wall fall down when there's one or two bricks gone? No. But it's noticeable. And there's a hole and there's a gap. And so part of the reason that we need to understand the me in we is we need to understand that when we're over here, not being built up into that spiritual household. God made a place for us to fit. He he made a place for us to be. And when we don't do that, there's a hole there that's waiting for us to fill it, waiting for us to step into it, waiting for us. And so when we're sitting at home on our own or when we're doing this Jesus thing by ourselves because we don't need a church or when we are broken because of some other relationship in the church, we got to remember that there's a missing spot. And the one who knows our name and made us to fill that spot is calling us into it. The other thing about that is there's not only just a missing spot in the wall, there's not only a missing spot in the building, there's not just a gap, but what happens to a brick that's sitting all by itself in the middle of a parking lot or in the middle of a field? It gets weathered and worn, it's broken. One rock by itself can't sustain the weight of a wall of rocks built together. It's unprotected. It's exposed on every side. Guys, it's not just about what we bring. It's about what the community brings us. We talked last week about how um, in community, it's it's not Lisa's problem. If Lisa's got a problem, in community, it's our problem. 
It's not just Rick's problem. If Rick's got a problem in community, it's our problem. We carry that. We share that together. Guys, that is so countercultural to our society. And yet it is what we are created for. There's this whole study about um, strong group cultures versus weak group cultures, right? And strong group cultures exist in a lot of Asian communities and a lot of Native American communities where the identity of the group, the struggles of the group, the needs of the group are primary. And the needs of the individual are considered part of that group. Like if you have a need, it's our need. But it's not all about the individual. And that's what Peter is saying here as the church as God's people, as a priesthood, it isn't all about just us. It's not about just you online. It's not about just you in the seats. It's not about just me on the platform. It's an us. And if we don't lean into that as the foundation for this series, then we're going to continue to struggle in all our relationships because we can't see the we. Who we are flows out of what we were created for. That's the first thing I want us to really understand. Who we are flows out of what God made us for. And we may take that and pour it out over here and not be in the fullness of of the body. We may take that and pour it out somewhere else or we may take that and ignore it. But the creator wired us for what we were created for. Let's go on and read verse. Are we okay this morning? Like there's a lot today, but it's good stuff. You should read verse 6 with me. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Peter is not just talking out of his own mouth right now. He's not just talking out of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's actually quoting Isaiah 28, 16. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. Do you guys know what a cornerstone is? In the old ways they built buildings, the cornerstone was the first foundational stone that was laid. The cornerstone had to be hewn just right and structured just so and placed just perfectly because without it, everything else was going to be wonky. That's an Old Testament term, wonky. It's really spiritual. Everything else was going to be off kilter, askew, not lined up properly. The cornerstone is what was set to put everything else in place. Some of you know that we were looking at a house in Indian Head, considering, um, considering moving out here, and, uh, and there was a house, and I was, I, I was pretty interested. That might be an understatement. I was drawn to this house. Like, we're drawn to this community, and we're figuring out what that looks like for us over the next couple years. And this house was 100 years old, and it looked so pretty, not just from the outside, but like when you walked in it, it, it was well-structured. I mean, it had those 100-year-old super steep, big, tall steps that they had then, you know, no ADA compliance whatsoever. But, but it, it was nice, and it sat, and it was just, I was just like, oh, my heart. And the inspector came, and, and so 100 years ago, they didn't have concrete slabs, right? And the inspector came, and he looked, and um, in the far corner, one of the brick pillars, foundation pillars, the one in the corner was just off. The, the structural beams underneath were 
week, that beam was off and lots of other stuff was happening. And I was like, well, maybe we can fix it. Like, she's going to, like, maybe, maybe. And I'm going through, and we sent the inspector's report to a good friend of ours, George. He's an electrician and a builder. And I just got this text, negative ghostwriter. <laughs> you can tear that down and start over, but you can't fix that. No matter how much we want to fix our foundation. If our foundation is not the cornerstone of Christ, it's a negative ghostwriter. <laughs> like, you better tear that puppy down and start all over. Because Jesus has to be the cornerstone. He says, those who put their trust in him, those who trust him, that's the, that's the requirement, right? You know, today we don't build with cornerstones anymore. They've changed how they build. But if you go to a church or a government building or, you know, a, a, a special building that they've erected, put up, a lot of times they'll have a monumental cornerstone. They'll have a stone out in front that has a plaque on it, and it says, you know, this is the cornerstone, and they, they lay it before they actually build the building. Nothing in the building actually rests on this. It's just decoration to point to something. Can I suggest that all too often that's what we do with Jesus? That instead of being the actual cornerstone, the actual foundation, we have him on a plaque outside. We have him as a name hanging around our neck. We have our little cross that we wear, and that's Jesus, except nothing on the inside is resting or built or trusting in Jesus. And therefore, it is just this thing out here that the pigeons poo on, you know? Like, instead of holding us up, it's just decoration, just something to look at. Can I suggest that when we do that, we not only hurt the heart of Jesus and shortchange our own lives, but people aren't running away from the church because of Jesus. People are running away from the church because there's too many Christians who only have Jesus on a plaque outside their wall instead of anchored in their heart, building their lives on him, building their relationships on him. You can't have Jesus as your cornerstone and then cuss somebody out because they cussed you out. Like, that's not how that works, right? Like, you might slip and fall. I'm not saying we're perfect, but that's not okay because when I'm anchored in Jesus, then it doesn't matter what they do. It matters who I am. It matters what my foundation is, and I don't get easily put off kilter. When we trust him, it also says we will never be put to shame we learn in Isaiah, the prophet tells us that when, when, when Jesus comes, he's, he's foretelling of the Savior, right? And he says, when he comes, that you're no longer going to have shame, but instead for your shame, you're going to receive a double portion of honor. When Jesus isn't our cornerstone, when we don't put our trust there, then we're still defined by our sin, we still walk in the shame of, of what we do and who we are. We still walk in, in what's been our story prior to Jesus. But when we trust him as our cornerstone, then our sin no longer defines us. Our weaknesses no longer define us. Our I'm not enough no longer defines us because we aren't trying to rest our lives in some wonky little lame stone. We're founded on the cornerstone and Jesus defines us. Jesus, who is our more than enough, defines us. 
I'm going to say something. I, and I just started wrestling with this last night, so it is not flushed out as perfectly as I would like it to be. But I have heard and I have said for years and years and years, we are sinners or we are sinners saved by grace. But if I look at New Testament scripture, it says we are sinners or we are saints who are not perfect but saints. We need to understand that our identity has to shift because I don't need to wear the name sinner anymore. I need to wear the name saint that walks in love and mercy and grace and trips and falls and sins for sure, but that is no longer what defines me. My Savior defines me. And so I just want us to have that, like wrestle with that. Look, I'm still wrestling with it. You may get part two next week. But it just really stuck with me, like how long have we been calling ourselves sinners when Jesus said no, because my father says that you are now clothed in my righteousness, which means there is no sin that defines you. My righteousness and my holiness define you. And I will help you with the sin. I will help you with it. And so if we're going to identify the we or the me in we, then we must be anchored and grounded in Christ, our cornerstone. What are we anchored and grounded in, guys? What are we anchored and grounded in? Verse 7 and 8 says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I want to pause right there. I'm going to tell you we're going to wrestle with this. I'm going to read a slightly different translation because I really think the NIV gets it wrong on this one. So do a lot of other, uh, a lot of scholars who are far more experts in language than me. The HCSB and the ESV say, now to you who believe, honor will come to you who believe. The honor is for you who believe. I want us to shift from Jesus is honor. Jesus is glory. Like it's not about that. But honor will come to you who believe because this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. That's a whole lot. Shall y'all listen to that? And, and let's be honest. Do we want to think of Jesus as someone who makes us fall? Makes us, like, what is he trying to say here? We're going to get to that. Hold on. It's okay. First, I want to tackle this issue of honor because it's important and I want us to understand it. And it goes back to the last point and what we were saying about the shift in our identity. Y'all see, ever see those crazy little blurbs on TV, on the news, where like Michael Jordan's sneakers sold for, I don't know, like $1.2 million or something, or, or Hank Aaron's bat sells for a fortune, or some famous singer's dress sells for all this money? Before that person used them or wore them or touched them, they were simply an ordinary bat and maybe a slightly overpriced but still ordinary pair of shoes or an ordinary dress. But when that famous person used them, worked through them, scored some points with them, then they became priceless. How much more 
are we priceless because Christ works through us. Because before him we were ordinary, but in him we are extraordinary. Because before him we were sinners, and now in him we are a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood. Guys, we have to understand that when we walk in Jesus, there's an honor that comes to us, not because of who we are. Those shoes didn't cost any more to make because Michael Jordan wore them. But because Christ indwells us, the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. We have honor. We get a double portion. We become priceless. And that is a we, the church, collectively, not just individually. It also says that Jesus is not just the cornerstone, he's the capstone, which means he's not just our foundation, but he's our crown. Beginning and end, not just our foundation, but our crown. Because people can't see your foundation when you're in the midst of a relationship struggle. They, 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 can't see, they, they might be able to point to it after a while of dealing with you, but everybody sees the crown you wear. So we need to remember that Jesus is both and And it comes back to if we choose, because Peter says it's to us who believe. And now we get to the wrestling part. What does this all mean, a stone that causes people to stumble? By the way, once again, Peter is quoting Scripture. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Psalm 118 and Isaiah 8. And so when he says a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, Please don't go away thinking that Jesus reaches up to trip you. Please don't go out and tell your friends, Jesus is going to make you fall down because you don't listen to him. That is not how that works. I want us to dig in and spend just a minute with this because Peter goes on to explain that they stumble because they disobey the message. Now that can still make us view Jesus as like the mean principle, right? For those who disobey, they're just going to fall down. And that is not the message of love. That is not the message of abundant life. I want you to think about, um, anybody out here run track, track and field? Got a couple people. So those people, those anomalies of life who were destined to jump hurdles, like I don't even know what that's actually called, but you know the runners that jump over the hurdles, and like they soar, they fly, like that is... Like, they have this gift. Like, that is what they were made for. Right? What would happen if one of those runners just went out one day and decided, I know I was made to jump over those hurdles, but I think I'm just going to jump when I want to. I'm going to pretend the hurdles aren't there. I'm going to ignore the hurdles, but do what I was created to do. What do you think is going to happen? Like, Seriously, y'all are quiet. Online, tell me somebody didn't say face plant. Like, they're going to be like, I'll just, I'm not jumping here. Bam. <laughs> Look, this platform was made for, for the people who were speaking or performing to stand on. And, and so that's what it was made for. And as a speaker, part of my wiring is to stand on the platform. I can ignore this platform if I want to, but I can also fall on my face when I refuse to acknowledge its existence because I'm trying to do what I was made to do without standing on what I was supposed to stand on to do it. And so when you're stumbling and falling, 
are you cooperating with Jesus or not? That's the question I have to ask me. Y'all don't take that at you. Like when I am struggling with something, all of a sudden I'm like, am I missing something? Am I failing to cooperate somewhere? Am I being my stubborn self somewhere? Am I forgetting where I fit into the body somewhere? Try being a church planter or ascending church. You want to talk about a dynamic relationship that gets strained and stretched and pulled in all kinds of different ways? And both of us constantly have to remember that it's not about us, right? Like, God bless Pastor Mo and all his patience with me. Because I'm like, but bridge, but bridge, but bridge. And he's like, but the church, the church, the church. Like, we got to work together. And don't we just do that? And so, remember that Jesus is our rock. And we can stand on him or be supported. We can stand on him and have a solid foundation in our relationship with our spouse, in our relationship with our coworker, in our relationship with people at church. I can stand on Jesus and stand firm no matter what the storms come. Or I can make Jesus a placard on the outside for that area of my life. And guess what? I'm going to walk right into it and trip because I'm not standing on what I was created to stand on. It says they were destined. They weren't destined to fall. They were destined for the message. They were destined for the gospel. We are destined for the gospel. And so it's important for us to remember, and this is a huge difference in some theologies, we are destined for the gospel. We aren't destined for the fall. God didn't wire us to go to hell. God wired us to live in eternity. God wired us to be kingdom kids. God didn't wire us to punish us. God wired us to live through us in abundant life, y'all. We are destined for the miracle of salvation and eternal life. We are destined for the gospel and not the fall. Would you read verses 9 and 10 with me? But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let me leave that slide up for just a minute. For all the individualism that we get taught from the moment we entered the world, the earth, in this country, from have it your way, to it's all about me, to everything else, can you read that again with me just from the top? Once you were not a people but now you are the people of God. Once you were an individual, but now I have called you in to be a people. Once you were on your own, but now I have called you into the community of believers. Once you were alone, and now you are not. I have made you to be a people. You were a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Guys, from the very beginning in Genesis 2, God said it was not good for man to be alone. That was before the serpent, that was before the fall, that was before all of it. And it was just Adam. And Adam had authority over everything on the earth, pretty much. And God looked at him and said, it's not good for you to be alone. 
family, it's not good for you to be alone. God created us to be a people. He's reminding us here. Peter's reminding us of the promise that God made. We think this is a New Testament. I, for years, was like, royal priesthood, like, that's so awesome. That's all a New Testament promise. Do you know it's not? Do you know that he is reflecting what is written in Exodus 19? When God is telling Moses what to say to the people as he brings them into freedom to the nation of Israel, Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6 says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, the difference is that before Jesus, people got invited to be a part of that nation. They got invited to become Jews who could worship God. But Jesus came so that we all would be a royal and holy priesthood, that we would embrace and count on him, that Jesus would be the trusted cornerstone for all of us. It's important to understand that priests were the intermediary. Priests were the go-between between between the people and God. And so they brought to the people what God said, and they brought to God what the people needed. Y'all, that's our job. That's our job for an unbelieving world. An unbelieving world that doesn't need to be beat up and criticized and chastened, that needs to hear that God sees them and knows them and loves them. We have to be an intermediary that says, here's who God is because you don't know him yet. Because once you know him, you're part of the priesthood. You're part of the family. But until you do, let me tell you what God says about you. You are precious and chosen. He's sent his son for you. And by the way, here, God, are the needs of the people. Why do we have a Thursday prayer point? Because we need to pray for our community. We want to do that corporately. Why are we praying for the, why aren't we just praying for Bridge Church? Because it's not about us. It's about a community that needs to know. The passage goes on to say, because he called us out of the darkness into the light. And I just want to make a couple last points here. In darkness, we cannot identify threats. People out there in the world, when I was out there in the world, I didn't have the Holy Spirit in me to identify the threats. I didn't even see them as threats. In the darkness, what looks like a sock to me on the floor as I stumble to the bathroom in the middle of the night, when, when the kids were younger, was a Lego. And it hurt. Now, it's Callie's ring of death is what we call this toy. She chews it and it's all crunchy and it's like stepping on a thousand Legos. And I think it's a sock until my foot's in the air and I'm screaming because it's in the darkness. And we get so judgmental of a world that doesn't recognize the pitfalls that they're stumbling in, doesn't recognize the pain that they're causing, doesn't recognize the problems in their life. But y'all, it's darkness. And they can't see it. You know what else? In the darkness, we cannot identify the beauty of something. When things are in the shadows, we can't see the dimension and the color. We can't see the intricacies. 
church. God didn't just create Christians in his image. God created mankind in his image. And when we are dealing with people outside the church and we are struggling and we just want to cast them to the side and forget them, can we remember that they are created in God's image and the me is supposed to go over into this we and try to bring them into the light and see their beauty and recognize that I may not see their beauty right now. I just may not. Like, we didn't used to have mercy, now we have it, okay? We're going to need some mercy to deal with some people. There were some people that needed some mercy to deal with me. But as they step out of that darkness into the light, then it will reveal the intricacies and the beauty because they were created for a purpose as image bearers of God. In light, the beauty of creation is no longer obscured. The passage says, now we have received. Now we are a people group. We are a unified group who has received mercy. That should shift every relationship that we have. This truth of who me is, me who is created to proclaim that God has brought me out of the darkness into the light. Not me who's supposed to just take that truth and bask in it and be happy. Like, cool, I'm in the light. Let me just, let me just sunbathe in the light. No skin cancer when you sunbathe in the light of Jesus, right? Like, let me just bask in the, no, no. God said, you, you, you didn't, I didn't bring you into the light to have you bask. I brought you into the light so you could proclaim it. And when you do that, remember that you were a people who didn't used to have my mercy, and now you do. Because when you are dealing with your in-laws or your co-worker or your neighbor or your teen who is going through a rebellious phase or whomever or whatever, oh, wait. When I'm deployed over in Egypt and I'm dealing with people from 17 different nations and I really do not appreciate the way they are treating me as a female, mercy, because they're in the darkness. They're not in the light. It shifts how we treat every relationship that we have because we, me, was created to to declare the light of life that I have through Jesus Christ and to be his representative, to be his little stone, Petrus, shorn from the big stone, the stone, the cornerstone. Folks, every single we needs to start with the Christ in me.